Live from the capital of Raider Nation, Las Vegas, Nevada, it's Silver and Black Today. Your daily dose of all things Las Vegas Raiders football. News, views, guests, and your phone calls are all part of the game plan. There's only one nation, and it listens here. Now your host, Scott Colbranson. Welcome back to Silver and Black Today, live from the Raiders headquarters in Henderson, Nevada. I am Scott Colbranson. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday. And I'll tell you what, driving into the Raiders headquarters today, uh, I saw a really a, a sight that just caught me. I had to stop for a second and just say and take a deep breath. And that was the sight of school buses on the roads. They're practicing their routes as uh, kids here in Clark County, Nevada, Southern Nevada, are getting ready to go a part-time back to school. But man, I never thought I'd be so excited to see a school bus. Uh, some normality maybe returning to life here in Las Vegas pretty soon. Uh, we're back here talking Raider football, talking NFL football, as always, powered by our good friends, Sam and Ash, the injury attorneys. Call them anytime, 702-820-1234 is the number. And, you know, the AFC West, the Raiders, Mike Mayock said it last year at the Combine. He said, hey, we have to chase the Kansas City Chiefs. They are the focus. They are the class of the division. Uh, and we're going to have to do everything we can to build this team in order to compete with them. But there's the rest of the division. You have the Chargers, the Rookie of the Year, Justin Herbert. And then you have the Broncos, who have some interesting decisions to make as well. So we want to talk a little bit about AFC West. And to do so, on our Newsmaker line, we bring in the talented CBSSports.com writer, Brian Diardo. Brian, thanks for being with us here on Silver and Black today. Hey, it's a pleasure, guys. Always talk football. Thanks for having me on. All right. So I was reading through your piece. You talked, you did a piece about the needs of the division. First of all, let's take kind of a 50,000-foot level look at the AFC West. Clearly the Chiefs, back-to-back AFC champions, uh, they lost this Super Bowl. They had some trouble up front on offensive line. But everything still goes through Kansas City. Do you foresee a time when the rest of the division, the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Broncos, start to challenge the Chiefs a little more? I think that's going to happen this year. Um, I think that obviously the Chiefs, as you alluded to, are still the front runner, not just in that division, but in the AFC. But but you could see it in the playoffs. You could see Patrick Mahomes was over relying on Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill. His complementary weapons uh, just weren't getting the job done. Now some of it was injury, Sammy Watkins, and and things of that nature. But in large, that was the difference when I was previewing that Super Bowl. Brady was. You know, doing a better job maximizing his talent, and then you couple that with the offensive line issues. Uh, I didn't foresee 31-9 happening, but I, I did pick Tampa Bay to win. Um, so I think that the Chiefs are coming back to the field, and I think that the Chiefs postseason exploited their need to get Patrick Mahomes more complimentary pieces, and that's not going to be easy because the Chiefs, like the Raiders, don't have much cap space they're going to have to do most of their damage in the draft. Now, one advantage, as you clearly know, when you are a team that has success like the Chiefs, you're going to be a pretty uh, attractive destination. So there could be you know, players we saw with Le'Veon Bell uh, last year that are going to be willing to go to the Chiefs on a discounted price. But, you know, those offensive line issues aren't going away. And I know that, that some of that was injuries. Injuries aside, the Chiefs still have some holes there. Uh, their defense, uh, their pass rush really wasn't great last year if they didn't bring pressure from the secondary. Their front seven uh, left something to be desired with the pass rush. So I think the Chiefs have needs on both sides of the ball, and I think that's going to open things up for the rest of the division. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because you're right. They're going to have to address their needs in the draft because of those rookie deals. They can afford those with the cap mm-hmm. situation they have. Uh, but as you know, the, the draft itself, there's good offensive linemen, but there's not great offensive linemen. So they're going to have to address those needs uh, maybe in free agency too. And you're right. That's the thing. You, you, might, you, might, um, you might get a guy who's willing to play for less because he has a chance uh, to win a ring. Now we look at the rest of the division. We'll get to the Raiders last, but we look at the Chargers down the road in Los Angeles. You know, of course, the coaching change there. Uh, you have the big year that you saw from Justin Herbert, but they have needs still up on that offensive line and at wide receiver. They also have some defensive. They have some guys that are that are leaving on that side of the ball probably. Uh, what about the Chargers uh, concerns you, and what maybe is their biggest strength going into 2021? Well, they got to stop losing close games, right? I mean, that's what, you know, they had the coaching change because they were going to try, and they changed the quarterback, you know, from Phillip Rivers to Herbert to try to fix that. And, and they just, they can't close the deal. And I know, I know Raider fans kind of, uh, they know what I'm talking about too because they started six and three and kind of lost some close games down the stretch as well. But, but yeah, I mean, they have a lot of, uh, free agents that they're going to be losing as well. But the, uh, the nice thing, if you're a Chargers fan, they've got, you know, Again, we don't know the, the, the cap space uh, 100%, but I'm going to go ahead and guess it's going to be somewhere between 182 and 185 million. So they're estimated right now at about 34 million in cap space, which is pretty healthy. So, you know, and, and these are some of the guys I mentioned in my piece. I mean, Trent Williams would be an attractive piece for them. I know that he was one of the Niners that had, you know, one of their million injuries last year, but when he's healthy, he's still a really good player. And on, you know, the other side of the ball, Hassan Reddick. Uh, Will Fuller, a receiver who I know did really well in Houston, he's a player the Raiders may actually be interested in. And then Gerald Everett, who you know played in California with the Rams, was successful there. He may be on the on the block as well. So the Chargers, yeah, they'll have to do a lot of their work in the draft, like some of the other teams in the AFC West. But with their cap space, they're not going to be able to get the cream of the crop free agent. You know, they're not. I mean, I don't think they need a defensive tackle per se. But they're not going to be able to get a, T- a J.J. Watt kind of guy. But you can get a, a Trent Williams, an Hassan Reddick, maybe even a Shaq Griffin, potentially from Seattle. Uh, so they can get some decent free agents. They're going to have a little bit more flexibility some, than some of the other players. You asked about their strength. It's clearly Justin Herbert. He's a great passer. I, I do think that uh, Joe Burrow was better last year before he got injured. I think he was the better of the two quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Herbert had more to work with. But I'm not going to take anything away from Justin Herbert. He's a really good player, and uh, they've set him up to success moving, uh, moving down the line. Brian Dardo from CBS Sports is our guest here. We're talking about the AFC West. And then we look at the Denver Broncos. And the Broncos, you know, they have a lot of needs on defense. They, had, they were beset by injuries last year. Um, they're looking probably to tag Justin Simmons, which Raider fans are, are disappointed because they would like to see him in the silver and black. But are you getting the sense that they're really committed to Drew Locke? Because we hear the Deshaun Watson talk. We hear some of these other things that are, uh, are being discussed around a veteran quarterback. Where are the Broncos? Now that John Elway has exited the player personnel side of things and hired a general manager. What are we going to see from the Broncos? Well, that's the best point you just said. We don't. We don't know. We don't know if he's going to be a riverboat gambler, their new GM, or if he's going to try to play it safer. Um, now they have the, the estimated the most cap space of any team in the division with just under forty million. But I'm not going to. I'm going to be honest with you. They fooled me last year. I, I thought that the way they played at the end of the season with Drew Locke winning four of his five starts, I was drinking the Denver Orange Kool-Aid. I'm not doing it this year. They're going to have to show me something. Uh, and I'm not very high on them, to be honest with you. And I think they can do some good things. You know. And again, I discussed their need to address some things on defense. Richard Sherman could be an attractive piece. I think in the draft, Micah Parsons from Penn State would be an awesome pickup for them. 
maybe even Patrick Sertain. He was a guy that the Cowboys reportedly really wanted before they started winning some games near the end of last season and took themselves out of the position to get Sertain uh, from Alabama. Uh, but I just, at the end of the day, like you said, they're not fully committed to Drew Locke. And, and the thing with Drew Locke is if you can get him out or you can keep him in the pocket, he's an entirely different quarterback. And, and if that's really all a defense needs to know to stop you, it makes their job a lot easier. So Locke's going to have to show them pretty early in camp that he can stand in the pocket, deliver accurate, good passes, because they have a really good young receiving core. Uh, I, I, I thought Jerry Judy kind of got a, a bum rap last year. I know he had some drops, but so did Jerry Rice in 1985. People forgot about that. you know. So you know he'll get over that. K.J. Hamler, I thought, was a nice pick out of Penn State. No, Font is, is a good player. He's got to stay healthy. Uh, but, yeah, they, they got to commit to, to – um, you know, to their quarterback. And that's why I do think they'll go out, get a veteran. I mentioned Jacoby Brissett. Uh, a cheaper option, you know, could be Joshua Dobbs if they're more set on lock. But, yeah, they got to situate that quarterback position before. I'm going to I'm gonna pick them out of the cellar in the AFC West, which is where I currently have them. All right, so we get to the Raiders finally. And, and you look at the Raiders, and clearly we, we, we know the defense needs work. It needs a lot of work. Some of it, I think, can be attributed to a coaching change that might have uh, been a long time coming uh, with – Paul Gunther being gone and now them bringing in Gus Bradley and switching it up, not getting the most out of the talent they do have, especially on the back end. Uh, but they still have needs there, obviously, at safety, cornerback, edge, defensive tackle. They only have two defensive tackles on the roster at this point, Brian. Uh, but what I've been saying, too, that despite all those needs on defense, uh, you can't forget about the offense, especially the offensive line of the Raiders. Uh, because they have a manageable but not great cap situation. Uh, what do you see the Raiders doing there, and what do you think is, is the, the top need for them to address in the draft and then um, vice versa in, in uh, free agency? Well, that's it right there. I think you mentioned the offensive line, and, and there's going to be some good ones available. You know, one guy that I don't think the Steelers are going to be able to keep is Matt Filer. What makes him yeah. attractive, A, he's still in his late 20s. He has experience, uh, you know, playing tackle and guard, and, and he was valuable in uh, James Conner having a Pro Bowl season in 2018. He's a better uh, pass blocker than a run blocker, but that was pretty much every Steelers lineman last season. They were 32nd in the league in rushing, but, but he's an attractive piece. Alex Leatherwood of uh, Alabama in the second round would be a really good uh, option there. Now, the, the draft does not have a ton of talented offensive linemen, so that is where I think in free agency the Raiders are going to be active, is going to be addressing that offensive line. Now, in the draft, um, this is where it's going to get even more interesting. I could see them, if you know, uh, a really good receiver fell to them in, you know, in the mid-portions mid of the first round, which is where they're going to draft, I could see them potentially pulling the trigger. Because I think when you look at the Raiders, you know, Derek Carr has proven he can take advantage of elite weapons. Look at Darren Waller. I don't have to say anything else. I mean, he's mm-hmm. putting up you know, numbers that rival any tight end in the league. Um, it has for a couple of years. He needs a deep threat downfield receiver. And I know that, that you know, there's been reports that are interested in Juju Smith-Schuster, who, um, and this is one nugget I don't know if Raider fans know. He's not asking for his market value, which would be about $17 million a season, which I think you're overpaying him. He's asking for a reasonable price, which that can mean $12 million, that can mean $13 million. He wants to play with an elite quarterback and a team that has a chance to win. I know that Oakland hasn't been to the playoffs, but they've been on the precipice for the last couple of years. They're in a, I mean, who wouldn't want to live in Las Vegas, right? I mean, it's a <laughs> fun city to live in. Juju's a young uh, guy. 
The Raiders are an historic franchise. I think John Gruden would 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 love to design plays for him. He's a physical guy. He's thick, and he's from the California area. I think it would make a lot of sense. He's going to come with a pretty expensive price tag. And I think in general, across the board with the Raiders, one thing they need to improve, and I think this is why they've dipped in the second half of their season, it, it's depth. Yeah. It's depth. When, when, exactly. when, the, when the NFL, now it's going to be 17 games next year, uh, with, with these 53-man rosters, I think that Mike Mayock last year did a really good job, uh, or a good job in the draft. Uh, it's yet to be known if it was really good. But he's got to do a better job with his secondary players. Uh, you know, case in point, you know, I love your running back, uh, you know, but, but, you know, they need a stronger piece. I mean, you look at the Broncos uh, with Melvin Ingram uh, and their, you know, their two-piece set out there. Uh, they, the Raiders need to do something there. The nice thing for them is there's a lot of nice, affordable uh, back running backs they may be able to pursue. Matt Breida from the 49ers, Kevin Coleman from the 49ers, uh, you know, Kenyon Drake, he may be a little bit too pricey. You know, Matt Breida, as I mentioned, Todd Gurley would be uh, a gamble because he's still productive, but he's very injury-prone. But I think they need to, to do a good job adding depth to their backfield, and they need to get Derek Carr a deep downfield threat. And I think in the draft there's enough spots, there's enough good players where they're going to load up on defensive players in the draft. They're going to be young, and uh, you know it's going to take them time to develop, and that's where, why you're going to need an offense that's going to score at least 27, 28 points a game, at least in the first half of the year before those Raiders uh, young defenders uh, you know, start to mature. Yeah, come along a little bit. Again, we're talking to Brian DiArto from CBS Sports. He writes about the NFL there. And, Brian, let's switch gears a little bit because you wrote a great piece uh, around the Pro Football Hall of Fame where you listed a player from each team that should be in the Hall of Fame that's not. And to me, of course, who you selected is Cliff Branch, and we talk about it here all the time because, yes, there are a lot of players that you can look at them and say, well, they're borderline, they should be, they could be. Cliff Branch is not one of those guys. He's one of the best receivers to ever play the game. He won three Super Bowls. He was dominant in two different decades. Uh, And I mean, I just can't see any reason why he's not in the Hall of Fame. When you look at similar players that played during his era, like Lynn Swan, it's not even a comparison. Talk to me about uh, why you chose Branch and, and why you think he's not there. Okay, full disclosure, I grew up a Steelers fan. Now I'm an unbiased NFL <laughs> fan. I don't cheer for teams anymore. But but the, the reason why is, well, first there's a Raiders bias. I'm just yeah. going to say it. There's, there's a Raiders bias, just like there's a bias against putting more 70 Steelers in. Like Elsa Greenwood should probably be in the Hall of Fame. But, and I'm sure you know, you know this better than anybody. NFL Films did an awesome job almost making superheroes out of players that made huge plays in big moments. Drew yes. Pearson, you think... You think 1975, Hail Mary, Roger Staubach. I mean, that is just one of the top, you know, greatest plays in NFL history. Lynn Swan had the levitating leap in Super Bowl X, which actually the Steelers didn't score any points in that drive. That's moot. Uh, you know, you look at John Stallworth, he's in the Hall of Fame. That, that over-the-shoulder catch in Super Bowl fourteen. Cliff Branch didn't have any moments like that in the Super Bowl, but he was still kicking butt. He had... Two touchdowns in Super Bowl Fifteen at the age of thirty-five. If you, I, you know, if you have nothing to do in the offseason, go on YouTube and watch that Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Washington had a very good defensive backfield. Daryl Green was very young at that time, and uh, Cliff Branch was driving them crazy. Not just because he had a fifty-yard catch and a touchdown. He was talking so much trash and getting in their heads. It's, it's hilarious to watch. He was ahead of his time. 
he his his thing was speed kills. And Mel Blunt, who I think is unbiased, I think he is the bet one of the best corners of all time. He had no problems guarding Drew Pearson. Drew Pearson in Super Bowl thirteen. Zero catches for the first three quarters of the game. He caught like three or four in garbage time. Mel Blunt could not stop Cliff Branch. Cliff Branch tore him up in the playoffs. Uh, and, and if you look at the playoffs, uh, if you compare Branch's numbers to Drew Pearson's, who just made the Hall of Fame, Branch trumps him everywhere. And they both played in 22 career playoff games. Branch had five more catches, over 100 more yards, and he averaged over a yard more per catch. He had better Super Bowls. He was better for longer. I think one of the other issues is Pearson was an all-decades player in the 70s because Branch continued to uh, thrive well into the 1980s. So he wasn't an all-decade player, but it it wasn't because he wasn't good enough. Um, Statistically, he was better than any receiver in his era. Um, And, you know, another knock is people keep saying, oh, he played with Bolitnikov. By 1974, Branch's third season, he was their number one receiver. Right. So you could say that Branch or that Blitnikoff actually benefited by having Cliff Branch on the other side. And, you know, the fact that he was a member of all three of the Raiders' Super Bowl teams, because, you know, the 76 uh, Raiders, you know, that team and the 80 team were almost just completely different teams. The 83 team, except for, I think, maybe Ted Hendricks, it was totally different. But, but with the exception of Cliff Branch was there. He, he, he made, uh, you know, Jim Plunkett look great. He made Ken Sabler look great. He caught from a left-handed quarterback, a right-handed quarterback. He, he thrived before the 1978 rules, after the 78 rules. If you can tell, I'm very passionate about this. <laughs> it, he is the greatest player not in the Hall of Fame. And I spoke to his uh, sister last year. She's very emotional about it. She hopes he gets in one day. And if I ever get on that Hall of Fame committee, the first person I'm going to bang the table for is Cliff Branch. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, three touchdowns in two of those three Super Bowls as well. I mean, he just played. He played. He played his best when it mattered the most. And you're right. Mm-hmm. It might not have been the NFL Films player plays of the decade per se, uh, but he just put up the numbers. And and I was fortunate enough to be around him a handful of times, and he was on the show, and got. I even got to put his ring on one of his rings. And oh, um, nice. he he was just a great. He was a great ambassador too. And I know, you know, when the Hall of Fame looks at players, yes, they're looking at them on the field. And, and of course, Tom Flores finally got his due acceptance into the Hall of Fame this year. It's just, it's just, it, it's perplexing. And I understand the Raider bias, but I think now that the, that Mark Davis has kind of buried the hatchet with a lot of the NFL issues and all the stuff that went around what you saw in the documentary just a few weeks ago. Hopefully, they're about to make this one right uh, next year as well. But certainly appreciate your your view on it and your writing on it. It's a fascinating story. Make sure you check out uh, Brian uh, on Twitter at Brian, B-R-Y-A-N-D-E-A-R-D-O, and you can check out his links to his story because this is a good one. And I loved reading through all the teams, actually, because some of those guys I actually forgot about. So, Brian, as always, man, we appreciate you being here, and best of luck to you coming up uh, as we approach the NFL New Year. Thank you, and uh, appreciate being on the show. Thanks very much. All right, there you go. Brian Diardo from CBS Sports has been our guest, and he nailed it. I mean, there's now there's a true journalist being objective. He is a lifelong Steelers fan, okay? But he believes Cliff Branch is the best player that is not in the in the Hall of Fame. Period. Of, out of all the teams, I mean, he said it, and I agree with him 100. percent There's no question. It's not it's not that he's the best Raider not in the Hall of Fame, even though that's what his list shows. He says he's the best player NFL player that's not in the Hall of Fame. That has got to change.
And so all of the folks who worked hard to get Coach Flores in have to do the same for Cliff Branch. And we'll start doing it here, too. I know Raider Nation Radio will beat the drum for number 21. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll get back to your phone calls. Tell me what you think about that, about Cliff Branch, about the Hall of Fame, maybe some other Raiders who deserve to be in there. But there's none, I think, more deserving at this point uh, than Cliff Branch with maybe uh, Jim Plunkett, a close number two. You're with Scott here on Silver and Black today, live from the Raiders facility on Raider Nation Radio. From Stabler to Plunkett and Allen to Jacobs, we've got your Raiders covered on Silver and Black today. Here are your hosts, Scott Goldbranson and Q Myers. Scott Goldbranson back here live from the Raiders headquarters in Henderson, Nevada. On Silver and Black today, powered by our good friend Sam and Ash. Visit them at salmonashlaw.com. Great interview there. I love Brian Diardo. Not only is he a great writer, but he is excellent on the radio. So I appreciate that. His rundown of the AFC West, too. When you look at the AFC West, I mean, you have the Chiefs there. I think I think the point he makes is a good one, and that is, you know, we, we've been for years and years and years, at least the last five, right, four or five, been hearing about how great the Kansas City Chiefs are. And, and they still are the best team in the division. Let's make no bones about it. But the kinks in the armor are there. And so now, if you're another AFC West team, like the Las Vegas Raiders, the time to strike is now, right? You, you have an opportunity to, to, to exploit that and to go out and build your teams. And I think the AFC West is going to get better. I mean, you're seeing what the Chargers are doing. They have the quarterback. They have a lot of other issues they got to address. Their defense is still pretty good. And then you have... The Broncos, who I'm, you know, it's hard to, the Broncos had so many injuries last year that it was hard for me to assess them. At one point, I thought they were pretty good. And then when they played here and I was at the game and the, the Raiders beat them, I was not impressed at all. But they were, de- they were decimated by injury as well. So if, as a Raiders fan, how do you feel about the way the, and I'm not talking about having fun and calling teams donkeys and making fun of the Chargers because they have no fans because they don't, um, or, or the Chiefs and all that. But really, honestly, from a football perspective, I think the Raiders are in a pretty good position. They just need to address those key issues so that they can counteract what the Chiefs do. But as a fan, what do you guys think? What is the team that most concerns you outside of the Chiefs? Between the Chargers and the Broncos, who's closer to being on on the level with your Raiders? That would be my question, I guess. 702-365-9200 is the number. Tell me what you think. By the way, I was interested, too. You know, one of the great stories in the NFL last year was, of course, the comeback of Alex Smith from that horrific injury that almost cost him his leg. Uh, he did an interview with GQ and our good friend Cody Benjamin over at CBS Sports wrote about it. Uh, and Alex Smith <laughs> did not hold back. He talked about how, hey, Washington never wanted me back. They never thought I would come back. Now, you can understand Washington being in the position of saying, listen, dude almost lost his leg. Dude almost lost his life, Right. But he goes beyond that and says, look, they didn't want me back. And once I told them that I was getting close to playing, physically able to play, 
he says they tried to put him on the pup list, the physically unable to perform for two weeks. And he said, quote, they tried to high arm me. I felt like I still didn't have a fair shake at that point. I wanted to see if I could play quarterback. And I feel like I hadn't been given the opportunity yet to find out. So it's interesting because Smith is a free agent, of course. We'll see where he ends up. But Smith and the, and the Washington football team, they ended up winning that terrible division. And Alex Smith was a big part of that. So I get it. I mean, you see a guy and you think to yourself, there's no way this guy's coming back. But he did. He proved them wrong. And he kind of, he said, I, I put a, a wrinkle in their plans. And um, I mean, I, again, such a great story from a human angle, not just, not just a football story, clearly. But it's interesting to see where, where, where Alex Smith will end up. Uh, and the fact that he had some choice words for the the Washington organization, which he's not the first, right? I mean, the Washington football team has had a bunch. And I, I like Ron Rivera and all that stuff, but clearly uh, that organization has had all sorts of structural issues and culture issues that that have been well publicized. So I don't need to rehash them. But I just thought that that note from Cor- from Cody was very interesting. Um, about Alex Smith and his GQ interview. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely read that interview overall and see, because I'm rooting for the guy, um, and, and, and see where he ends up. But, but I do want to know from you guys from a, again, we've been talking about Raiders free agents here on the show and talking about who you'd like to see. And, I, and, I, and I'm hearing some names out there that make a lot of sense, right? And, and talking to Brian DiArto last, last segment from CBS Sports about Raiders draft picks. And that's where, where we get callers all the time, like Raider Mike earlier, saying all seven picks got to be defense. And he, he did amend himself when I told him they'd also need to draft an offensive tackle. But uh, Brian thinks to think, seems to think that the Raiders might be active in trying to get a free agent um, offensive lineman as well. So not just in the draft, because it's not a hugely strong draft on the offensive line. It's just not. So if they clear enough space, can they go get a guy that they can afford? I think that's the bigger thing here, too, is you have to add, just like we do every day in life, right? And when, I, when my wife drags me out to Target <laughs> and we're rolling around the aisles and she wants to buy stuff, and my wife is frugal, so I, I don't want to make it sound like my wife just goes out and spends money because she would tell you that that's me. Um, but nonetheless, you know, you have a budget, and so you have needs. You have stuff you need at home. The Raiders have needs on the roster, but you have to juggle the budget with who you need and how you need and what, what needs you have. So if you need players on the defensive line, great. You can't go out and afford the top five free agents. You can't do it. You just don't have the money. So knowing that, who do you focus on as your number one guy? And then to a caller's point earlier, do you find somebody maybe who likes the franchise, who likes the staff, who likes where the Raiders are headed? Now, the Raiders aren't in the position to where they're really close to a championship, but they're getting closer. And so might you get somebody, might Leonard Williams come, um, he's going to get paid, but are you able to get some of these guys to maybe sign interesting deals where they're able to fit it under the cap and afford them? I mean, that's the question, right? And we'll have to see if that ends up working out because to me, you have needs and they're on both sides of the ball. 
of course, defense is the number one priority, but I want to see them go out and improve on offense, too, because I think that offense, and Brian Diardo said it earlier, too, is they're going to have to go out and score 27, 28 points again. I mean, that even if the defense gets markedly better, which I expect it to be, you still need that high-powered offense. And if you're going to have a high-powered offense, then you need to continually refresh it, get it better, find ways to get more weapons, all that kind of stuff. And so if they can do that, because you can't just count on Darren Waller to do everything. As great as he is, you need that vertical threat. You need to get Henry Ruggs involved in doing what he does best on slant patterns, all that kind of stuff, right? Utilize his speed in open space. But you you need to do those. And I know there's that big (laughs) – the big – conversation happening out in Raider Nation about Kyle Pitts. And I get it. He's awesome. (laughs) He's a great player. He'd be great in silver and black. But we'll have to see what they do. I think free agency, and that's the thing, is we're all sitting here speculating. We don't know for sure what's going to happen because there's going to be a lot of names on the street. And until you find out who's out there, if I'm the Raiders, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to wait to make my decisions. It's, it's a game. It's a chess game, right? And so you have to – the war analogies with football are well-deserved because you have to always think ahead of where you are, but you have to have multiple scenarios. Okay, so if this guy becomes available and he's a target for us, then maybe we will let Trent Brown go. If he doesn't become available and the draft board doesn't look the way we want it to, maybe we bring Trent Brown back if he'll restructure his deal. Right. So there's all these scenarios that really smart guys like Mike Mayock and John Gruden are sitting in a room somewhere in this building and they're figuring it all out. Right. Radio hosts don't do it. Newspaper guys don't do it. Right. So but they are. And so they're going to have to figure it out. And I'm sure they will. Um, And they'll the direction and their plan. That's the thing, too. Everybody's got a plan. It's not always public. You don't always know what it is, but it's there, so we'll have to see. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get uh, our good friend Vinny Bonsignor, of course, who hosts In the Huddle coming up between 4 and 6 p.m. here. We're going to talk to him about all the happenings of the day and get some of his take on the AFC West. You're with Scockle Branson here on Silver and Black Today, live from the Raiders headquarters in Henderson, only on your station, Raider Nation Radio. From Stabler to Plunkett and Allen to Jacobs, we've got your Raiders covered on Silver and Black today. Here are your hosts, Scott Goldbranson and Q Myers. Welcome back live from the Raiders facility in Henderson. This is Scott Goldbranson. This is Silver and Black today. Thank you for being with us on this beautiful day here in sunny Las Vegas, Nevada, in the Mojave Desert. Yes, it's going to be Our faces will be melting off very soon. Uh, Joining me now is my colleague here at Raider Nation Radio. He hosts In the Huddle coming up next at 4 o'clock. That is one Vinny Bonsignor. Vinny, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing good. I I, kind of was – I said it earlier. I was excited. I've never been excited to see school buses before, but it looks like the Clark County School District is practicing the bus routes. Good, good. <laughs> and I'm like, I love it. Oh, progress. You know, and we're starting to see numbers of, uh, n- of people in the state vaccinated, which means things are going to start opening up again. We got to get this thing rolling. We got to get Raider Nation here for football games come September. Uh, it's just good, man. You know, I mean, we, we've all had to go through the same thing. We've shared this thing, but it's it's nice to start to see some positive signs, isn't it? Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, I think, you know, from the from the get go. The whole, the, you know, the, the the underlying message, the biggest message of all, was 
you know, it, we were going to have to hold on. We were going to have to make adjustments. We were going to have to um, kind of suck it up in a way, unfortunately. And uh, and but we were all in this together. And uh, as long as we did things practically and prudently and safely and followed the science, I know it took us. And, and has taken us in, in a, a number of different directions. Sometimes that's what science is. It's, it's, there's a lot of unknown that we were dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to, you know, uh, to, to get up to the point where now we're starting to see things, real progress being made uh, in terms of the numbers going down, um, things opening up. Uh, looks like there's uh, attendance is going to be allowed uh, pretty soon at boxing matches maybe and, and, and uh, Golden Knights games. Uh, it's just really nice to see that. Uh, we seem to be creeping along in the right direction. I know, and uh, California's lagging a little bit on that part of it, on, on their journey to to reopen, and so I think I'm going to have to go see my Padres down in Arizona. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be yeah, able to... Yeah, and you know, I'll tell you this. Moving here to Las Vegas from uh, California, the one thing that I've that I've noticed, and, and this is a big deal that I think people need to understand. Um, in, Las, in, in, in Nevada, you're dealing with, what's the population in Nevada? $3.5 million? 3.5 yeah. million or so? 4 Three, million? 3.5 million in the entire state, 2.5 million of those here in Clark County. Okay, California is, what, 34 million people? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, when, and, and, and I know California sometimes is, and I know you weren't doing, you, you weren't necessarily doing this, but California becomes kind of the target. But you're talking about close, you know, 35 million people compared to 4 million people. And what I've appreciated uh, living here in Nevada is that the services are so much better because, and it, it makes sense, you're dealing with so many, so, so, such a, uh, a smaller, uh, population, and that's not you know knocking any either state or anything like that. It's just the reality of the situation. It's hard to to um, you know when you're dealing with that many people in the in the state in one state, yeah. it's hard to get it right across the board. And um, you know, hopefully everything starts working out better uh, for California. They certainly are behind, but they've got problems or they've got uh, dynamics that Nevada just doesn't have to deal with. No, um, and and I kind of appreciate it now living here in Nevada. Yeah, no, that's. <laughs> No, it's it's very true. Uh, Vinny, breaking at this hour, too, from the NFL Network, is that Ben Roethlisberger will be back with the Steelers, according to his agent, uh, Ryan Tolner, which is an interesting thing. But we were talking, I had Brian Diardo from CBS Sports on just a little while ago, talking about kind of the AFC West. And I wanted to get you some, th- some thoughts on that, because clearly, as Mike Mayock and John Gruden said the last time they were at the Combine and going into the draft, was, hey, listen, we, we as an organization, the Raiders, have to focus on beating the Chiefs because if we're going to win the AFC West and assure ourselves of all the goodness that comes with that and perhaps home field advantage and all that stuff, depending where you're at, you have to chase the Chiefs. They were the class of the division. There's now been you know some, some weakness shown by the Chiefs, not that they're not the best team in the division because they still are, uh, but looking at the AFC West and what these teams are going to do, I know we have a couple weeks before free agency really starts to hit home for us, but when you look at this division and where the Raiders are positioned in it, um, where do you? I mean, where do you put them, and where do you put the other two teams, the Chargers and the Broncos, as far as being in that space to compete with the Chiefs for a title in the AFC West? Well, uh, you know, the Raiders are the second place team uh, in the in the AFC West. Uh, they made you know a small pro- a progress. They made progress this year. I know that uh, eight and eight is not acceptable whatsoever. Um, it's a step in the right direction, though. And so they're the second-place team, and I think if they get the defense uh, squared away um, or improved, um, 
they're going to be decidedly in second place. Uh, with with the opportunity to beat the Chiefs, the Chiefs showed uh, last year that they're by no means world beaters. I know they finished with a great record, but they they were vulnerable throughout the season. The Raiders should have beat them twice. Um, let, let's let's uh, you know not forget that. Uh, and as the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers showed, um, there's ways, especially you know uh, when when injuries take their toll. Uh, there, there's you, you can beat the Chiefs. They're not an unbeatable team, and that's what I've been always stressing uh, to Raider fans. You know that have been so worried that you know the, the Chiefs are going to be on this dominant ten-year, decade-long run uh, with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, my experience in the NFL doesn't work out that way. Uh, teams have ups and downs. I don't care. Uh, you look at the the uh, the Saints with Drew Brees. They've had down years. They haven't always won, mm-hmm. uh, and they had a great offense. And and you know, but but it's hard to maintain both sides of the ball. You know, throughout and and depth throughout, because you're losing players on almost a yearly basis uh, because of you know free agency and the way the cap works and things like that. So um, yes, they need to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, but the, more than anything, they need to be the best possible version of themselves. Yeah. And if they can do that, then everything else will take care of itself, including on a year to year basis, being able to compete, you know, with the Kansas city chiefs and, and for one year or another, uh, overtake the Kansas city chiefs. I, I'm not, you know, uh, just looking at this practically, I'm not sitting here thinking that the Raiders can never chase down the Kansas city chiefs in the, in the near future. Not at all. Uh, I've seen it too many times where what looks to be some juggernaut dominant, you know, uh, uh, clear out the next 10 years because it's going to be this team or that team. It rarely, rarely works out that way. So to me, the Raiders need to focus on themselves, being the best version of themselves. Uh, and to me, that starts with uh, building a, 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 a playoff caliber defense to supplement a playoff caliber offense. No question. Vinny Bonsignor is with us. Is coming up next with In the Huddle from 4 to 6 p.m. here on Raider Nation Radio. When you look at those other teams, though, you look at the Broncos the, and the Chargers, they have significant cap space. That's not a be-all, end-all. That doesn't mean that they're going to be a better team. But when you look at the Chargers and the Broncos, you know the Chargers well from being in Los Angeles and from covering the Rams as well. Um, when you look at those two other teams, though, who, who's right on their tail? Who, is, it, is it the Chargers or is it the Broncos? Uh, I mean, I guess I would say the Chargers because I think that they have the best quarterback. I think that mm-hmm. until the Denver Broncos figure out their quarterback situation, um, I'm not uh, you know, a believer in, in Drew Locke. He's just a little bit too um, inconsistent for me. Um, so I would put – until they get that figured out, uh, you know, they would be the fourth-place team. Uh, you know, and the Chargers with the quarterback of of of, uh, of that stature, Justin Herbert, is you know quickly going to be the right now. Derek Carr's uh, uh, the, the second best quarterback in, in this division, but Justin Herbert, um, I think, is ready to take over uh, and and keep soaring uh, as high as it can get. Now they have to uh, build that team around him. They need to shore up some things defensively. Uh, they have a new coach, a new system. We'll see how long it takes you know uh, that to take hold. Uh, but but yeah, I would say the Chargers would be the team um, that, that I would be most worried about in terms of the teams behind the Raiders. Vinny, we also talked earlier, uh, I was looking at the strength of schedule for the teams in 2021 in the NFL. Raiders are now, uh, as it sits, seventh uh, when, it look, when you look at seventh most difficult uh, strength of schedule. Um, when you look at that, is, is it, for fans, and as we were talking about it today, is there anything to read into that? I mean, because you have a lot of this, and it's not dependent on where you finish in, in, in the regular season because you have that rotating divisional schedule and conference schedule as well. So you don't have a lot 
lot of control over it. It's not like the NFL behind the curtains is saying, okay, who are we going to give a difficult schedule to? It just kind of comes up with who you're playing. But how much can you look into that when you're looking at the team as they head into a new season? And, you know, for the Raiders, uh, progress, uh, you know, uh, makes life a little bit more difficult for yourself mm-hmm. because you're playing better schedules because, you know, whereas, you know, um, in the last couple of years they were playing, you know, the equivalent of third-place teams and fourth-place teams in other divisions, how it lines up, how the NFL shrewdly kind of manipulates the schedule to kind of give the weaker teams a better chance sometimes to get it turned around. Now the Raiders are going in the opposite direction, which is the good direction you want to be going in. So now they're going to play second place teams, you know, from around, uh, from around the NFL and various divisions. So that in itself makes the schedule a little bit more difficult based on last year's uh, results. But that's another thing that I, I, um, you know, I I would uh, preach, uh, a little bit of let's just see how it all plays out type of a uh, type of a advice because uh, we're in March, man, or we're in February, and on closing in on March, we have no idea how this is all <laughs> going to turn out in terms of who improves, who gets worse, um, you know, how everything shakes out in free agency, who manages their salary cap. Again, we've talked about this so many times, Scott. You know, I know games are won in September and October and, uh, and December, but this is when teams get put together, and so. Yes, on paper, because of what happened last year, that Raider schedule looks, you know, like the seventh play, uh, uh, toughest schedule in the NFL. But we're a long way from really being able to truly analyze that uh, once, you know, because rosters aren't even close to being set right now across the NFL. Yeah, no doubt. It'll, it'll, and, and there's so much to have. And that's the thing, I think, especially for fans, right? Uh, Vinny, is they're waiting for stuff to happen so they can re- react to it. And we're yeah. just in that period of time where, you know, until that new year comes and starts stuff and dominoes start to fall, because that's what I was saying earlier, too, is if I'm the Raiders, you have to be patient. I mean, you have a plan, you have all your scenarios built out, right? Depending on what happens, who you may, and that, that includes who they may let go uh, for cap reasons and who may, they may not let go depending on other teams and other availability of players and so I think if you're if you're a fan out there it's a it's a it's a hard time because you just don't have any information and reputable sources don't start reporting stuff and they don't get too much into the rumor mill of course if you have things to report you're going to report them and I mean we saw with the Tiger Woods situation we have people people who call themselves journalists already speculating on how he call, how the accident happened and you just can't do that it's you know we, we're so conditioned for this this quick response to everything and the same thing goes with our football teams is we want it all to happen now but the reality is it's going to play out and it's going to play out over the next 30 days yeah absolutely and you know that's why you know we get hit up a lot on you know, oh, are the are, are the Raiders going to make a run? Let's say at Trey Boston or or JJ Watt or, mm-hmm. or or guys that are starting to filter out onto the open market. Well, if I'm the Raiders, I think patience is the key right now because uh, between regular free agency that we can kind of look at and, and and gauge a little bit in terms of uh, who are pending free agents and who are likely to hit the open market based on you know the salary cap of their current teams. This that guy probably won't get the franchise tag. He'll probably be a strong candidate to hit the open market as an unrestricted free agent. Free agent. Well, on top of that, you also have uh, a lot of veterans that are going to be hitting the open market as cap casualties. Uh, it, it always happens anyway, but now more than ever, with the cap actually going down rather than than up. So, uh, what might be, what might seem like the most promising option at let's just say free agency or or excuse me, uh, free safety or defensive tackle right this moment uh, could change. 
a, a lot, uh, you know, uh, as, as you get closer to free agency and you get into free agency. Uh, and sometimes just waiting, actually, through that first crazy wave, mm-hmm. whirlwind wave uh, of free agency, those first couple of days, you're, you're, you might be in a, in, a, in a good position to pick up some bargains and some depth uh, and, and be able to, to uh, create more bang for your buck on that second wave of free agency, only because there's going to be a lot more players, I think, uh, out there on the open market, and there's going to be more depth to choose from uh, as, as, teams, as the Raiders and, and everyone else starts uh, sorting through uh, all the various free agency bins. <laughs> I know, like we're at the store and we're looking through the bins. Pretty much. Uh, looking for a good deal, but but something that's going to make sure we get better. Uh, Vinny, what do you have coming up on In the Huddle next at 4? Well, we are going to talk about uh, you know Ben Roethlisberger. We're also going to talk about uh, the report that maybe the Seattle Seahawks or at least listening to offers or seeing what's out there for Russell Wilson. I can't buy that they're going to uh, trade him, but you never know. If somebody uh, offers them, you know, uh, three first round picks to get it restarted over there, um, you know, maybe, maybe, and we don't know what's going on behind the scenes uh, in Seattle uh, and, and what the um, tenor is uh, mm-hmm. between the face of the franchise, Russell Wilson and, uh, and Pete Carroll and John Schneider there, uh, his, you know, the, the general manager and head coach, who knows, you know, so maybe they are open to trading uh, Russell Wilson. And wouldn't that be crazy uh, oh. if something like that were to happen? So, uh, that quarterback carousel uh, continues to, to dominate, um, you know, the, the scene. And, and so we'll see where, where it's all headed and how it relates uh, to the Raiders and how it, cre- how it relates to the draft and, and also free agency. Well, and I, I have the perfect place for Russell to go if they were to make a trade. You ready? Oh, yes. Miami. That Miami, wouldn't be so bad. Miami sends the three number ones in Tua. There you go. He fits right in that system as a young quarterback. You get a bridge year guy. <laughs> I just don't think that Miami, unless it's if they're going to give up that, they're going to have to give. They'd have to do it for Deshaun because yes, um, because of the age. The uh, age, I think, exactly. I think a guy. I would like, do that um, first. Yeah, Russell makes a lot of sense for like the Chicago Bears. Yeah, closer. That feels like hey, we're, we're right there, and um, we can sacrifice some of the future because our present is so promising with a quarterback like Russell Wilson. No doubt. Well, it's always good. It's always good to, I mean, we start talking Madden-type trades. But, uh, exactly. Love Vinny, it. Love it. Vinny, I appreciate you being on, brother. Have a great show coming up at 4, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. All right. You too, Scott. Thank you, man. All right. There's Vinny Bonsignor. He's coming up next at 4 o'clock. Make sure you listen on here to Raider Nation Radio as he continues, and that'll be good. Yeah, I was, I was sitting with my buddy Phil last night, and that's the trade. I was like, oh, where, where could Russell Wilson? He's a big Seahawks fan. So as we were talking about, we're, and that was like the only place that made sense for us because of his wife and her career and Russell Wilson being so into, and I like Russell Wilson, but he's so into the image thing, you know, the entertainment, they have this big brand. And so Miami makes a lot of sense. I know Miami is, as Vinny said, is further away than a Chicago or somebody like that. But it just made so much sense for all the off the field and the other things and his wife and, and Sierra's career in Miami. You know, the whole scene there makes a lot of sense. And then you think of like Tua fitting into the Seahawks system makes sense, too. But we were just having fun. What the heck? <laughs> it's that time of the year. You just start throwing stuff at the wall because there's no news per se. Right. But. 
I want to thank everybody for being with us today and the calls, as always, man. Great calls. Uh, H and Albuquerque, Raider Mike, um, Jerome, all of, all of you guys listening out there, we appreciate your input on the show. It's what drives me and what makes it so much fun is to hear what you guys have to say as well. We'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to have Chris Matthews, another local uh, TV reporter's uh, anchor here in town. Chris just celebrated his 24th year in Las Vegas. So I'm going to talk to Chris about the Raiders coming to Las Vegas, but also the changes he's seen in the sports scene here because it's 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 bananas how much Las Vegas has changed. I went to school here that long ago, so I saw it back when it was nothing and there was just UNLV and that was pretty much it. And, of course, the Stars, the baseball team, which is now the Aviators. So we're going to talk to Chris Matthews, and we'll talk about the latest and greatest NFL and Raiders news. For our producer and engineer back in the studio, my man, Christopher Chapman, I am Scott Branson. Thank you all for letting me into your ears today here on Silver and Black Today, uh, live from the Raiders facility out in Henderson. This has been Raider Nation Radio. Don't go anywhere. We're coming up next with Vinny. Take care, everybody. Have a great night.